Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. People have been asking me, are the babies of IVF normal? Back when we started IVF, now 40 years ago, 42 years ago, in fact, the first baby was born, there was great concern that we were playing with nature, that God was being intervened with, that we were interfering with nature and that we would create babies that were monsters. And there was a lot of adverse publicity in the media. Many of the religious groups were very nervous about us. In fact, the Catholic Church is still to some extent opposed to what we do in terms of helping you have a baby. But anyway, what was then an experiment is now everyday medical treatment. And because of those concerns that were expressed in those days and beyond, the IVF children are probably the most investigated group of babies that we ever have had, that great cohorts of them have been followed from birth through to teenage and and adult life. Because already now there is a whole cohort of babies around the world that are adults. And to date, nothing is different from being conceived normally. There have been some scares along the way, and the media always loves to hype up anything that's that's different, particularly in relation to IVF. If you go for a week in a newspaper, it's rare that there's not some IVF story, usually negative. There are many positive stories. In fact, around the world, there are eight million babies have been born through IVF, and that's over the 42 years. And that eight million There has been no evidence that these children are any different to anybody else. The pregnancies of IVF mums can be more complicated. There are some issues that have shown themselves, but it turns out that those issues are predominantly because these women were infertile, not because of the IVF. Because when you compare them not to the normal population who conceive in the next month or two, But if you can compare them to women who've been trying for more than 12 months to get pregnant, that group of women also has similar complications in pregnancy. A slightly higher rate of early delivery, a slightly higher rate of perinatal mortality, and a slightly higher rate, let's say, diabetes. What we always say with an IVF pregnancy, that we should regard it as a risk pregnancy. It shouldn't be someone that wants to give birth at home. It's not a good idea. Once we get past the original or the pregnancy itself, we get to delivery. And cesarean sections are more common in IVF pregnancies. There's no question of that. That's not because there's any great gross abnormalities. It's because the mums and the obstetricians are nervous. This is a very precious pregnancy. And any abnormality, we bail out and we do a caesarean section because we want to make sure we have a good baby. So caesarean sections are more common. 
In Australia, the cesarean section rate for IVF pregnancy is around 50%, whereas in the normally conceived population, it's around 30, 30%. When these babies are born, there have been questions about the increased incidence of congenital abnormalities. In those conceived through simple, straightforward IVF, that doesn't seem to be an issue. There is a small increase of about 1% to 2% in babies conceived through ICSI, the way we inject the sperm into an egg. Now, that's probably because the people who need ICSI, who really need ICSI, are males with abnormalities in their sperm, and they may have an increased risk of congenital abnormalities. There are multiple studies around the world of thousands of babies looking at them at two years, five years, etc. And they've looked at intelligence, they've looked at neurological development, they've looked at the milestones, you know, how soon they start walking. And what's been shown is nothing. (laughs) These babies are just the same. In fact, there's might be in one study or two studies suggesting they've got a higher IQ. Now, that may be the background of parenting because these children are obviously wanted children and those parents are going to do their best to make the best of their children. They're usually from slightly higher socioeconomic groups. They're the things that, that we worry about, we did worry about. We're far less worried now. Going into adulthood, people have always wondered whether being conceived through IVF might predisposed to diseases in older age. So far, the oldest obviously is 42 years of age. So we can't talk about cancer or heart disease or diabetes in older patients. The evidence in younger patients of those things, and we would expect already to start seeing some of those in the extreme cases already starting to show, and they're not. So I think we can be very confident that the babies that we're producing are normal babies, normal people who are going to grow up and be normal through their lives. There's always going to be abnormalities, and that's true of normal conception as well as with IVF. It doesn't seem to be any worse. When we go forward into an IVF cycle, we can be fairly confident that the, or really confident, I won't even say fairly, really confident that we're going to end up, once we get a baby, that it's going to be fine. So that's sort of where we are with the baby, uh, babies of IVF. How long should we try to conceive naturally before IVF if all tests are normal? Well, if all the tests are normal, then once you get up to 12 months of trying, if you're under 35, that's when you should start to seek treatment. That's number one. Should that treatment be IVF in the first instance? Generally, I try not to because even at 12 months with everything normal under the age of 35, your chance of getting pregnant in the next cycle is around 10%. And in the next three cycles is, is something like 30%. So I can't do much better than that with IVF. So why waste money and time and stress having IVF if you've been trying for a year and it hasn't happened if you're under 35. I would be trying to push ovulation, perhaps with tablets for a couple of months. I'd make sure that the the flushing of the tubes has happened because there's an increased chance of pregnancy after that. And potentially there's also intrauterine insemination as a treatment before you need to go to IVF. I must say I'm an advocate of not rushing into IVF. There are things to do before you get to IVF. Patients who have been trying for 12 months and go straight into IVF are really good patients because they get pregnant, but many of them will never need it or would never have needed it. Natalie says, I have one frozen embryo and have just had a failed fresh transfer last month. Is it worth me waiting to improve my lining, etc., before trying again or just go for it? Well, if you've been unsuccessful, I'm presuming you've had a period 
So by the next period it is when you should quite reasonably get started. There's no reason to, to wait. And even there's some evidence, or not some evidence, there is no evidence <laughs> that back-to-back transfers is any problem because your, your lining readjusts once you've had a period. Nura says, this time my husband is going to do these tests as advice from our FS. How often you'll guarantee the success of our cycle during the process? My husband is 46 and I'm 39. We both have no problem. Nura's 39 years of age and so her chances of success with an IVF cycle with one transfer is probably, certainly in our, our uh, unit, would be in the order of 30 to 35% in one transfer. So having had one transfer, if you look around the other way of that numbers, it means there's 65 to 70% chance that you wouldn't have been pregnant. And that's the way I talk to my patients. I make it realistic that the odds are that after one transfer at 39, you're not going to be pregnant. I mean, it's a good chance it's, and it's vastly higher than natural conception at that age, but it's still not by any means perfect. With the second transfer, if the embryo is good, that you have a similar chance of success. So ultimately, the more transfers you have, you eventually get to a very good pregnancy rate. But that's painful emotionally and physically painful on the bank balance as well. Yeah, I'm sure it's it's quite a challenge. Fortunately, costs in Australia are not as high as they are in other countries. And, and no, we're very lucky very that Medicare you know, subsidises things at least half and in some clinics three quarters of the cost. And Prof, I believe that in New South Wales there is some kind of a grant. Is that still the case? Yeah, well, that's for investigation. So our Premier gave us, uh, is giving uh, fertility patients who are having investigations where there are out-of-pocket costs. In other words, a semen analysis done in a proper clinic like ours, rather than being Medicaid, it's going to cost $200 out-of-pocket. It's more complete examination, more complex in what it looks at, and therefore it's not covered by Medicare. But there's a $500 rebate that the government is giving fertile infertile patients to allow them to at least cover some of those out-of-pocket costs. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. 